0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the DBSA podcast series. I'm your host, Dante Freeman, and today we're going to talk to Clayton Eckert about mental health, social media, and much more. Clayton is a mental health and wellness advocate, a personal trainer, an athlete, and some of our audience may know him from his time on reality TV as star of season 26 of The Bachelor. How are you, Clayton?
1: I'm doing great. Yeah, I uh, this has been an incredible journey for me so much so many different learning opportunities along the way and now i'm just hoping to continue to make the difference in the wellness realm whether that's fitness mental health nutrition based Uh, i'm just really trying to do my best to, to leave an impact so life's been good i'm chasing after my passions
0: that's great i'm glad you're here to talk to us about some of that social media interaction that you had and how we're going to get through that and how we're going to stay healthy in that realm Clayton, for those in our audience who don't know you from any of your many endeavors out there, you want to just give them a little rundown on who you are?
1: Absolutely. I think in a nutshell, I'm a former college and briefly professional athlete in the football realm of things. I played at Mizzou for five years. Then I went to the Seahawks. From there, I went into medical sales, spent five and a half years, the last five and a half years of my life. Uh, really just diving into that, uh, and doing the best that I could at that job. Um, and always being a really physical advocate for just overall wellness. Uh, I've, I've always tried to figure out for myself, what's the best way to find different routes to become positive with, uh, who I am and, and, and being able to do take that through, like with a, in the fitness side of things. Uh, but what I've done in the last uh, year has been very uh, untraditional. I, I went on national television twice
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, on two dating shows. Uh, and yeah, what, what leads me here today is really through the experiences that I've had through a lot of the tumultuous, you know, the, the pathway that I have found myself navigating down, I really had to reflect reflect inward with what all has transpired over the last year. And yeah. through looking inwardly, I've realized a lot of these realizations and uh, things that I feel that can be very much uh, usable by the general public. I hope mm-hmm. to be, I'm in a position where I want to be an advocate towards physical and mental wellness because truthfully, in the last year, I've hit rock bottom. Uh, but I've been able to find ways to crawl back out uh, and stay resilient and continue to push forward and rewrite my narrative. So uh, I'm here today with all of that backstory in mind just to try to make a difference in at least one person's life, but hopefully many more.
0: Yeah, we appreciate that, especially you um, telling and sharing your story. We here at DBSA, we're all about getting those mental health stories out there. Um, Because we know that there's at least one person, at the very least one person, who will benefit from hearing that. Um, And you touched on it, so let's just jump right in. You lived a good portion of your adult life in the public eye with sports and in your professional career, you've worked in high stress environments. Uh, But we know that social media can be a whole different beast. What made dealing with the attention, the comments that um, you received on social media? difficult in terms of your mental health?
1: I think one of the biggest challenges when it comes to social media uh, is the sheer magnitude of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for me, what it was specifically was it wasn't just one or two messages or 20 messages. It was thousands of messages uh, at the height of it all. And what makes that so challenging is something that I found was. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know why, but I'm hardwired this way. And I think a lot of humans are hard, hard, hardwired this way where we can see a positive comment and we'll gloss right over it, but we'll see a negative comment and we'll dwell on it. And uh, honestly, through like just taking the time to sit down and think about what is the sheer magnitude of one negative comment? I would say that one negative comment can derail 50 positive comments, it can outweigh it. Uh, and I've just found that time and time again, I would gloss over the positives because I was looking at the negatives to see what people were saying about me, trying to hopefully change that narrative. I think it came down to the people pleaser in me, the, the I'm always trying to solve a problem. and unfortunately when it comes to social media everybody has a voice but you don't know where that voice is coming from you don't know the credibility of it you don't know if they have an ulterior motive you really don't know outside of the words that are presented on a screen and there's really not a ton of accountability um, because people can post from spam accounts from all these different type of accounts where there is no backlash they don't have to worry about it so they can say whatever they want And it's tough. It's really challenging when people are able to say things freely, um, and you don't know where it's coming from. So it's it's. I think that's what's really hard about social media is you're subjected to that, especially when you place yourself in a position to be criticized by everybody. When I everyone's like, I heard plenty of times you signed up for this, Uh, and so in a way I did. I subjected myself the second I signed up. I didn't know what I was signing up for, but. Once I did, I now opened up my life for many different people to view and to cast judgment upon. And that's been a challenge.
0: Yeah, you, you made a great comment that the one negative comment can derail all the positive comments. Our brain, we know that our brain is very good at focusing on bad things or negative things. And so how would you push past it or how did you push past that?
1: Oh gosh, I I would be, you know, I'd be lying if I said I've been able to fully push past it just because Mm -hmm. the negative comments haven't stopped. Uh, They still come in, maybe not as frequently, but they're still there. And I think though, for me to take back control uh, of my own narrative, what I had to convince myself of and really just lean on was the support system around me. So being able to reach out to family and friends and really just voice my frustrations, voice what I was hearing. They would do a great job of acknowledging it, validating what I was struggling with, but then reminding me of who I am to them and how I do have value. And I do deserve to be loved and I do deserve good things in life. And I made some mistakes and I should take full accountability for it. But having that support system around me, was is a really great way for me to be able to navigate through a lot of this negativity that comes at all hours of the day. Uh, And the other thing I would say as well is, uh, with social media, there are parameters in place or certain measures that you can take through um, the different apps where you're able to actually um, have the app screen for certain types of language, explicit language. And there's filters that you can place as well. Uh, That'll help cut a lot of that out because it'll just basically you'll never see it. It'll just take it, flag it and remove it from your comment section or your DMs, whatever it might be. So uh, they're just taking different measures, understanding that there's many options available. Just finding ways and continuing looking for more ways to rid myself of that uh, has has helped.
0: That's excellent. That's actually great advice. Uh, We talk a lot about making sure you curate the social media that you want to see, right? You're in control of that content to to an extent um, and making sure that you understand uh, how to use the platform so that you can use it in a way that's uh, good for your mental health. You have now gone from, you know, dealing with the certain, let's say, unsavory parts of social media to using that platform to spread your message and tell your story about you know, mental health and mental wellness. What made you do that?
1: I think the biggest thing was, is I've always, uh, I say always, but uh, my mental health struggles started back in seventh grade. And mm-hmm. for a while, for a long while, uh, I wouldn't address the issues. outwardly. I wouldn't publicly uh, admit to any of the struggles that I had, because I was raised in an environment, uh, especially in the sports realm, where if you talked about your mental health struggles, you were considered soft and a slew of other expletives. So because of that, I just suppressed it all. I didn't want to be subjected to that criticism. Uh, But what happened was then I started to become very depressed. I started to have suicidal thoughts at at a young age, and I was too afraid to ever go through with it. Uh, I also didn't want to leave that burden on my loved ones because I knew I had a lot of love in my life uh, but what happened was I realized I had to find a healthy outlet for dealing with what I was going through. And so I, from there, then started to have these conversations with people close to me that I trusted. And it was just maybe one or two people at first. But what I found was, is that those conversations would make me stronger. Those conversations would help provide me with more potential solutions to my problems, ways, avenues for me to healthily release some of the stress, the depression uh, that I was facing. And so uh, I just started to be more open in my my day to day life. And then when I found myself in this role uh, on a national television on a platform, I was then given this platform on social media with a really large audience. And at that point, I realized that I could do something with that platform do good with in particular or i could just do absolutely nothing with that platform
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i think because i'm so passionate about how i was able to change my own life and get through my mental health struggles uh both mentally and physically as well the things that i've dealt with with body dysmorphia uh, i realized that if i can get somebody else to be able to change their narrative then it's totally worth it but now i have a platform of 300,000 people following me that i can get through to them with the right information. So I felt that I had almost uh, not a duty responsibility, but I felt it just felt like it was my purpose was I have this large audience. Don't post about you know, all the partying you're doing. You can do that, but also make sure you use this platform for good, for a greater good, far greater than,
0: you, than your own. Yeah, we, balance is important, right? A routine is important. Balance is important. Um, making sure that your physical health, you're taking care of your physical health and your mental uh, health, they all feed into each other. Um, I really appreciate you saying how much your support system plays into you being able to get up and talk about your mental health with everyone. Um, We here at DBSA talk about how important it is to make sure that you have a good support system because we know that that helps the wellness. Um, for you, was your support system largely family? was it friends? was it both?
1: yeah, for me, you know it's not it's not a massive number. I mean, I would say my support system cumulative is maybe six people uh and that's all I need because um those relationships I can lean on. I know that I can turn to those individuals at any point. they're friends, it's family, uh it's my girlfriend Susie, like it's those people in my life that I know no matter what time of day it is, um, no matter how much they have on their plate, like they'll, they'll push that plate aside and and be there for me uh, when I need it. Cause if that's, they, they know that if I'm coming to them about something that uh, it's, it's something I, I, I want to address and, and I feel comfortable coming to them about it. So uh, it's, it's a small number, but that's the beautiful thing about it is, and something that I, I try to tell people as well. Um, emphasize is the biggest thing we all need to realize is our struggles is we're not going at it alone um, and then once we realize that we can go find different outlets to see like to find other people out there in the world that are struggling with the same thing and that's great to find but then ultimately we just need a couple of people really in our own day-to-day lives that we can pick up the phone and call and and how do we get to that point like well we have to explore those avenues of You know, who can I open up to who am I comfortable opening up to that that's a journey in its own I think I started small, I started by just talking about things that were um, not really my internal like it wasn't like it was something maybe minor that I said hey I I just want to talk to you about a struggle I faced at work today. And I kind of start screening my friends and family just to see how they responded. Would they take it seriously or would they just kind of pass it off and be like, yeah, whatever. Like we all fit, face these issues. Like you're, you're like everybody else has the same problems, okay? Like I don't feel it now that I can really open up to this person because they're minimizing what I'm going through. Um, so it's just, it, it, it's in itself, it's, it's almost like a job interview. Like you have to go through life and find the right people and have them in your corner uh, because the wrong voices in your head will lead you down a much different path and a, and a dangerous one.
0: Yeah, I've talked to a lot of guests, and you're the first one who has ever said something along the lines of giving a practical way to screen someone to see if they would be good to be in your mental health support system. That's a little profound for me. I've We talk about it sometimes very abstractly, right? But it's another thing to actually say, okay, I'm going to say hey I had a tough day at work and try to talk to one of my friends about it to see how they're going to respond to that to because just because we know that some friends are good for one thing some friends are good for other but we're building a support system we need like you said we need them there to talk about anything that that is bothering us or not bothering us you know um but anything that we need them for at that time and yeah giving that That practical advice there, I think our audience will really appreciate that. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I pick that that is that's a lesson I'm gonna take for myself.
1: Yeah, I just think it's it's important for us to remember that our mental health is our everything. I mean, that is who we are. And you can take two people and put them in the exact same situation and someone will come out smelling the roses and someone else will come out smelling something else, right? Like the exact opposite. It's just uh that's that's the nature of who we are and what we're hardwired to be is we're all different but all of our issues matter all of our realities are very real to us and so if we're willing to allow somebody in and be vulnerable uh they have the ability to change us for better or for worse and i think at the very least we owe it to ourselves to take the time to make sure that that person is someone that we feel confident in opening up to
0: yeah well, Clayton, I want to get to um a comment you made earlier about starting to deal with your um journey with mental health and and some of the struggles with mental health when you were in seventh grade. We know a lot of people in our audience um first notice the signs of depression or bipolar or um maybe major anxiety when they're young and trying to figure that out um I know for you, you were involved in. High school sports. You had a um, circle of friends. You on paper, you probably looked like the perfect student, but something else was happening inside, right?
1: Yeah, you know, again, that whole journey for me started when I was in seventh grade, and I started to catch myself looking in the mirror every morning, and I'd pinch my stomach, I'd pinch my sides, I would just pinch areas of fat. And I'd kind of shake it and, and jiggle it. And I just would look at it and would hope that I just, I wish I didn't look that way. Right. And so then from there, what happened was I, with football had to put weight on. I mean, I, I, as a senior in high school, I was 195 pounds. I looked at the, when I realized I wanted to walk on at Mizzou, I looked at those uh, incoming freshmen. They were 235 at my position on average. And so I realized I had 40 pounds to make up in a matter of five or five months from the point that I made that Google search. And so I just ate everything inside. I was eating three peanut butter jellies right before bed. Um, and I put on 30 pounds in um, I think three or four months. Uh, and so it wasn't good weights. And then what happened was is all that did was it just heightened my body dysmorphia because I'd remember I remembered that uh we would I would dress for games and I would have on my my pads, and uh, we would be going by bus to the uh, stadium. And I remember the, you know, the bus suspension system was never great. And so every time we hit some bump, I'd feel my my fat jiggle on my body, and I just hated it. And it was, mm-hmm. it's all it did was it just made me more hyper aware of how I looked, how I felt, and all that added weight, like I went from probably 15% body fat up to 24% body fat. So I was heavier. I did have more fat on my body. So I already, when I was at a like smaller body fat percentage, I already was struggling with the body dysmorphia and and I'd look in the mirror and think I was fat. And then what happened was I added some more fat on my body and it just heightened that. It took that up 10 notches. And I knew I had to be that size to effectively play at that high level because everyone I was playing against was 275 pounds. So I had to be that size Uh, and I, so I I just told myself like, you have to be this way, but unfortunately it was a big struggle because I would catch myself multiple times throughout the day, pinching my stomach or having experiences where I I jumped up to catch a ball and I came down and I could feel the fat, like the, from gravity, like move. And I just hated the way that I looked in the mirror and and how I felt. And it was, it was really tough with that weight gain.
0: Yeah, and you've, you've talked about living with body dysmorphia before. I have a question based how did the dep- like feelings of depression um, correlate with this? Did it feed into it? Did the feelings of depression come first and then body dysmorphia? Is it, is it all tied yeah. together?
1: Yeah, uh, I think again, seventh grade was the start of just my mental health uh, journey, but it, it was it was they they were separate but they played into each other my body Mm -hmm. dysmorphia led to a heightened sense of depression uh because part of what happened in seventh grade also was i went from a lutheran school to a public school and uh, i was very sheltered prior uh, in this lutheran school Uh, mtv was blocked on my tv uh, until i was 16 years old my parents were pretty strict they believed Mm -hmm. and um, i had the mindset of waiting till marriage to be intimate with anybody i even like hadn't kissed anyone up until that point so i went into middle school and uh, i went i was bullied like i was not the size i am now uh, a lot of kids didn't like me because i was different because i was a preacher's boy was mm-hmm. the term that was thrown around at me um, i just didn't fit in and so i felt that and so i always felt like i wasn't good enough uh, and with the bi dysmorphia i didn't like the way i looked so i sometimes found myself saying, well, the reason why you're not attractive to somebody else is because of your image. It's because of the way you look. Like they see what you see. Uh, And so all that did was it just compounded. And that body dysmorphia led to more depression. And then the more depressed that I was, I was less likely to I would skip the gym some days. So because of my depression, then that led into my body dysmorphia where I then was struggling with maintaining a healthy weight or image or body image. And so I just kind of, they fed into each other and it was this cascading effect and a domino effect at that where it was very just dangerous. And they just, they kept just really causing the, the dominoes to tumble more and more. And, um, it was, it was a really just unhealthy combination.
0: Yeah. What would you recommend to someone who is dealing with feelings of depression and body acceptance issues?
1: My biggest recommendation is to actively search for resources, um, but but take the time to to, to educate yourself, um, screen like look for the experts. Like uh, the great thing about Google is um, we have the ability to truthfully just reach out, uh, or we can type in and we can find resources right away. It doesn't mean they're always good ones. So we have to keep that in mind. But I think this is where individuals, the best thing we can do is first find resources that are credible. Um, and, and once you're able to do that, then start asking those questions to those those people. Um, because a lot of what we see in life is the, one of the, lot, the biggest reasons why individuals do commit suicides. It's, it's because they feel isolated. They feel alone. Um, mm-hmm. It's often referenced in multiple studies. And so what we have to be able to show someone is... You're not alone uh, and 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 do, making this decision to end your life is not the only option so how do we show somebody that there are other options available how do we show them that they're not alone we just hope to get them to a place where they reach out they look seek for the, they seek the resources and then when they seek the resources they're going to see other stories of individuals that are just like them and so it's double edged it ends up helping show that they're not alone. It also helps to show them that there are other options available uh, and that they it's not time to give up yet.
0: You've come to a part a point in your life where you are being very vocal about mental health. Why do you think it's so important to share your story now?
1: I think it's so important because I've already seen it. You know, my one my story as I share it, I've already had individuals reach out and it's showed me that the power of your words and how they can change someone's life i had a really really cool example of somebody that um that happened to just be watching my uh lives the ig lives that i was doing with my personal uh training and i was doing these uh hour or 30 minute long workout sessions they were free to the public to show up and partake in it at home and this individual had done, they did all six of the sessions that I did every Saturday. And there are multiple times where I was doing it. And I had maybe, you know, I had 300,000 followers on my social media, but I had maybe 20 people that I could mm-hmm. see that were doing the workout. And so many times I, I thought in that moment, I, I should just stop. This is the third session of six. And I only have 20 people showing up. This is embarrassing. Like I have 300,000 followers. And here I am with just 20 people watching this live. But what thankfully, what I just kept pushing through with it. I'm like, you know what? You still have 20 people on here that are that are giving it a go, and you could be changed in their lives. You don't know, but they're here, right? Mm-hmm. So who knows who's behind that screen? But there's, they're they're on it. And what ended up happening was one of those people that had been on all six. They reached out to me on social media and they said, "Hey, um, can I send you a letter?" I wrote you a letter, and I said, "Absolutely." And they sent it to me. And what I saw, like what in the message they told me was that they followed my workouts for the last six weeks and they hadn't worked out in years, but because they like finally felt like there was something that they could do at home in the comfort of their own home, not having to go to a gym. And they saw my enthusiasm and willingness to want to help people. They started doing the workouts and day one, they couldn't even do a a single movement, but by the sixth week they could, they could do the movements. And what they ended up telling me was they wore shorts for the first time in 15 years they felt confident enough to go out in public in shorts and they were so happy about that and now they're currently on this path where like they i check in with them and they're like i am going to lose all this weight i'm happier i i quit my job because i realized that you know i value myself more than what people around me were valuing me and like you taught me that through like your positivity and your resilience and willing to like continue to push through it all i had no idea i was changing this person's life but I made a massive impact on, on theirs. And that reinforced the fact that I'm like, I have the ability to even change one person's life, but that's just the person that reached out to me. I might have 10, 15, 20, hundred other people that, are, that haven't reached out yet, but that I, I'm actively influencing their life for the better. And hearing that, knowing that, that's why I continue to push forward because you can't put a price tag on that. No matter what if my words have hold that much power, then I know that like, hopefully I'll inspire somebody else to open up and then they'll open up and then they're gonna change two or three more people's lives. Maybe they change a hundred, maybe they're the next big person that's gonna end up changing thousands of lives. And my words might just be that catalyst to do so. So it's, it's really exciting and I see that. And I'm just like, my words will impact others. And again, domino effect, it's just gonna cause someone else to, to speak up and then someone else speaks up and less people feel alone more people feel accepted and loved for who they are. And I think we have a really good shot when that happens of really curbing depression, or at least being able to manage it a lot better. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. And DBSA, we're all about sharing those stories, getting those stories out there and encouraging people to share their own story. No matter where you're at on your you know, mental wellness journey, if you've just started or you've been on it for a while, someone, is out there looking and trying to relate to that and trying not to feel alone. So I'm glad that you were here today to, to share that advice with us. I have a question about you. I believe on your website, talk about rewriting your story in terms of mental health. What exactly do you mean by that? Can you share that with our audience?
1: Yeah, oh man, like that. That's been almost a moving target just because I've realized uh, that I've learned so much in these last this last half year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when I talk about rewriting my story, what I realize that it means today is that I've, I've re-heart, uh, rewired my, the way that I view life.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: this, this experience that I went through caused me to question everything about who I was, what was my reality around me. I had to address my ego that I, that I didn't realize that I had. I'd never been in a high pressure situation where I had to look with, at, within and say, maybe your perception is creating a lot of this discomfort. And so I had to rewire my, my hard drive, essentially, of who I was. And rewriting the narrative to me really just means taking back control over who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just at this point a better human being than I was a year ago. I I don't think that I was a bad person a year ago, but what I realized was I had a lot of growth. I had a lot of maturity that I had to be able to grasp. I had to grow up. And that's what rewriting the narrative is, is knowing that, okay, Clayton, you were immature back then. You made some bad decisions, but that doesn't mean that you have to continue to be that person you can rewrite your narrative and be the person, the human being that you wish that you would have been a year ago. And uh, I'm still a work in progress, but today I can say proudly that uh, my narrative is that I I have changed for the better and it's all because of what I was subjected to. So I'm very thankful for those experiences. And I don't see the negativity that Mm -hmm. I experienced anymore as negativity. I see it as it was in a way um, it was a positive. I've took all my weaknesses, I took my negativity and I and I'm perceiving it now where all, all of that was actually positive. I just didn't know it at the time.
0: Yeah. I again, I appreciate you sharing with us. Um, and appreciate your time today. Before we let you go, we would be remiss without asking you what you're working on today. How can people find and follow you? And you know, tell us a little bit about how you're helping people on their uh wellness journeys.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Easiest place to find me nowadays is is on Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time online at Clayton Eckerd, uh, first and last name. So very easy to find me there. That's where I post uh, time to time with the uh, fitness tips, nutrition videos, funny videos at times, Um, just giving a little insight into who I am. I also post uh, speeches that I've given and clips from that as well. Uh, And the reason I'm doing this is because I want to spread the message of hope, I want to spread the message of resilience, I want to spread, though, also the the, the message that I'm here to help individuals. So whether you're struggling with your body image, whether you're struggling with nutrition, and, and you want to find a, a healthier way to live your life, but you don't know where to start. Uh, I am that person or can be that person for, for individuals. And I'm doing this through one-on-one coaching on both the fitness and nutrition side. So people can come to my Instagram and sign up for one-on-one coaching with me to better their lives in that area uh, with the expertise that I have. But what I'm also doing as well is I'm currently writing a book uh, that I'm tailoring toward uh, high school and college kids. And the really the messages of resilience, but the message is really just hopefully Um, Being able to share all the realizations that I've had and hope and I want to share that experience with that demographic, because I wish that I would have had that that information shared to me when I was that age. And so being able to speak from a perspective of, you know, when you're in the public spotlight, uh, a lot of kids at that age, they think that a blue check mark means that you're more important of a human being and they think that it brings about so many great things. But the fact of the matter is, is that it brings a lot. And I want to show kids that just because you're famous, just because you have a blue check doesn't make you a better human being doesn't also mean it's going to solve all your problems. Like it can in fact, like bring more than you ever thought in your own life. So uh, I hope that though, through all that I've went through with this book, and I'm also going around the country now and speaking to high schools and colleges, uh, I just want to be able to share my story. Uh, and hopefully impact one or two people. So that's what I'm currently doing and and, and the process of, of doing it in these moments.
0: Thank you. And we'll be looking forward to checking out all of your new endeavors. We appreciate it, Clayton.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the DBSA podcast series. Remember to rate and review the series on your favorite podcast app. If you want to support more shows like this one, you can make a gift today by going to dbsalliance.org donate. Thank you.